Welcome to the Sermon B-Side Podcast, a podcast of Liberty Church in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, a church that desires to live, speak, and serve as the very presence of Jesus in the Harrisburg region. Sermon B-Sides is designed to be a resource to help us deepen the conversation about this week's sermon and answer questions that would be helpful to accomplish our purpose. Well, Matt, we are uh, doing something a little bit different today. We're pulling off our best Jerry Seinfeld and comedians in cars getting coffee. That's right. Heading uh, west on the Pennsylvania Turnpike, the road trip edition of uh, the Sermon B-Side podcast. Yeah. This is how committed we are to you at Liberty Church. That's right. We're podcasting and driving. I'm John. I serve as one of the pastors at Liberty Church in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. My name is Matt Lulloyan, and I am John's chauffeur. It's true. And uh, if you keep driving like this, there will be no tip. <laughs> so... Uh, I'd like to assure everyone, and especially my dear wife, if she ends up listening to this episode, that my hands are securely at 10 and 2 on the wheel, and and John is running all the technology while we record this podcast. I have a laptop and an iPad, and I'm holding a microphone right where the cup holder is. Yeah. No, this is is exciting. I'm I'm glad we're able to get to this, because I think these are... uh, We do hope this is helpful for you guys. This is a, a resource that you're... Uh, able to listen to and use. We've, we've had some emails coming through. Uh, grateful for you guys who have emailed us, asking questions. Keep those emails coming. You can send them to matt at liberty.org or john, that's j-o-n, at liberty.org. Love to answer those about what you heard uh, Sunday mornings. Yeah. Or even what you're talking about in your in your Bible study groups. Yeah. Yeah, there were a couple like short questions that came through. We were able to respond to some quickly via via email, um, just to hit maybe some of the highlights. We got a question about the angel of the Lord being the second person of the Trinity, a, a pre-incarnate yes. Jesus. Great question. Yeah. Um, and the question really was, um, can we always assume that when we read the words, the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, that that is the second person of the Trinity? I wish it were that simple uh i wish yes. it were right it's uh it, it's a complicated um it's a complicated translation uh topic and issue that the translators and scholars wrestle with so there are some instances uh including the one in judges chapter six where the angel of the lord appears to gideon where when that title is used interchangeably with just the lord uh, and, the, and even in, in with the angel like accepting an offering and turning a meal into an offering it's clearly a divine figure that's not just an angelic messenger. And that's what, that's what leads most scholars to think that that, uh, that theophany, that instance is a theophany, an appearance of God himself, the second person of the right, Trinity. Right. Um, so there are other times in the Old Testament, though, where it'll still say the angel of the Lord, but it just seems to be a messenger, an angelic messenger. Yeah, do, does, does the angel of the Lord receive worship, or does he reject the worship uh, I think it's a good indication of, of of is it is it a pre-incarnate Christ or is it uh, an angel? And an and angel uh, in the in the Greek is is angelos, which is a messenger. And so uh, the title is is a messenger of the Lord, in which Christ Himself could be and is often uh, a messenger of the Lord. So yeah, great great question. Uh, we had a question about, uh, we referenced a couple weeks ago in this B-Side podcast about uh, jail, 
the one of the th kind of three deliverers simultaneously from Sisera and the army of, of Jabin. Uh, we mentioned in that podcast uh, how she broke two of the Ten Commandments, at least two of them, by murdering Sisera and by uh, deceiving him, like inviting him in under false pretenses. Just wanted to clarify, there is a lot of breaking of commandments from God in the book of Judges. Um, I think to some maybe it, it felt like we were singling out Jael in that, in that instance. Um, well, because she's a woman. That was part yeah, of the, the no. concern or the question, we, right? We always, we always want to point that out, you know. Whenever, whenever women break the Ten Commandments, it's so yeah. much more noticeable Is than that, when men break it. Yeah, so if it came across that way, that was yeah. not, uh, that was not at all our intention. Our intent. No. Um, I think, I think if I'm remembering right, John, we were talking about that in the standpoint of um, God making concessions to work through like things that He would actually right. say are completely wrong. And yet, still using those things to accomplish his greater his greater purposes. Right. right. There are clearly like, like murder, like murder, yes, like right. lying, Online. like. Yeah. Um, so that you see that play out in the book of, of Judges, uh, certainly. Men and, um, men and women. Men and women. Yep. Uh, you see breaking of the Ten Commandments, and and that's maybe even a great segue into Gideon, the second part of Gideon. Yeah, who, Gideon. who remained perfect? Uh, I think any fifth child or dog that we have, I will, I will call Gideon. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was gonna go with Maharshal Hasbaz. That's a favorite. Is, That's which a, is a favorite of mine. You've teased that name. Well, I think know. you guys need to have another something—a child, animal, pet, something uh, like that. An inanimate object probably okay. is okay. more likely. Okay. Uh, I will name, you know, like a chair. This is my Maharshal Hasbaz chair. Yes. Uh, well, that that will take less convincing than a, an animal or another child. That's right. Yeah. 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 I, I think, um, yeah, I think the, so the segue and the connection to Gideon in chapter eight, when he really is replacing God's agenda, which is clearly his motive in, right. in chapter seven, in chapter eight, where he replaces God's agenda with his own and kills these two kings of Midian, Zeba and Zalmunna. Uh, really, that's that's vigilante justice, which is murder. It's it's not. It's no longer him acting as a deliverer, as an instrument of God's judgment against an enemy people and the leaders of those people. Right. It's now Gideon saying, "Hey, these two kings, these two men, are responsible for killing my brothers, and so therefore I'm going to kill them." Yeah, he had beef. He had beef. He yeah. had a he had a personal beef with those two men specifically, and the remnant of the the army that was that was with them. It actually doesn't say that he killed the rest of the army. In Judges 8, it says he, he the army was thrown into a confusion. Right. Uh, we can assume maybe some of those 15,000 remaining soldiers of Midian died, but really the whole point in Gideon's mind was, I've got to get these two kings, and I've got to make them pay with their life for what they have done to my family. Yeah. Uh, and so Gideon is Gideon is uh, likewise like uh, like Jael, guilty of breaking uh, at least the that commandment, the commandment to to not murder. Um, someone. Um, interestingly enough, both of those episodes, Gideon's deliverance of Midian, even even referencing um, Ziba and Zalmunna, uh, as well as uh, Jael's uh, killing murder of uh, Sisera, they show up in the recounting of God's great deeds of deliverance in places like uh, like Psalm 82, 83, right where we are actually. It was interesting today in our Bible reading plan for that we're working through as a church. Um, I think it's Psalm 82. We were uh, the the psalmist is recounting some of the great deliverance of God, and it mentions those those two acts, even though they yeah. were in the moment um, a murderous act. So it is complicated, <laughs> complicated, oh, difficult. Yeah. 
Um, well, uh, and, topic. Yeah, and I think this a lot of groups, a lot of you guys out there have been um, trying to trying to understand and trying to navigate like you know throughout throughout the Old Testament there are these moments where we see God specifically command um, armies and his people to to eliminate or to kill um, a, a people like a people group yeah and and, uh, and you know in the situations where we here we have here with like the Moabites and Midianites and the um, all the other ites that we'll see through the book of Judges, um, you know, it, those those are those are difficult things to wrestle through. I think um, we can we can err in two ways in our in our attempts to understand this. Either we can not we can gloss over and not recognize it enough yeah. that these are people that these were uh, image bearers of God who were killed, or it can be quite a hang-up to the point where we don't see what God is doing. So, I, you know, I, I think recognizing them both, having having both a, a sensitivity to the situation, but also not letting it be, in a way, such a, a, a hang-up that we miss the point of what God is doing here um, yeah. is really going to be important for us. Making it through judges, understanding what God is trying to teach us and tell us uh, throughout the scriptures. Yeah. Yeah, well said. So Matt, you you talked about on Sunday, you know, um, you, you just mentioned like replacing God's agenda with His own. Some of the the practical implications of this, um, you know, it wasn't it wasn't it was no longer about valor. It was about vengeance. And sometimes in our own lives, like we um, we stop doing things for a righteous reason, for a, a good reason, and we start doing things out of like ambition and trying to things that was that really struck me as, as something that was uh, challenging both as someone who uh, you know, is is a uh, as a Christian trying to live in in, uh, in, in, a, in a faithfully present way but also as a pastor you know there are there are yeah. many many things that that I find and I, I struggle with and I go man like is my motivation here uh, ambitious yeah or is it um, or is it, or is it just obedience? Yeah. And so, like, can you flesh that out a little bit for us, as far as ambition? Um, where where does ambition end? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I, talk talk yeah. some of that a little yeah. bit. Yeah. I think at, at, underneath all of these things is is a real recognition. I feel this in my own life of how deceitful our hearts are and how mixed our motives are when you really drill down deeply the, even the good things we do uh, where does where does an improper motive an improper agenda of our own that's not God's agenda take over mm. um, it's so subtle and our hearts are so sick you know that we're so pervasively affected by the fall by sin that we can begin with um, with a great motive and, uh, and an impure one can, can creep in, or more often, more, more realistically, we begin with mixed motives and the stated ones, and we even kind of kid ourselves to believe that it's all pure motive and God-honoring motive, and then and then we find out later on when something doesn't go the way that we wanted it to that there's actually been a, uh, a mixed motive there and an impure motive, and it gets exposed over, over time. So I think about that even in my own life and even being a pastor and planting a church, which I think was largely out of a, a real good and pure motive to see 
the good news of Jesus advance and to see people served in Jesus' name and to see uh, people equipped and mobilized to use the gifts that have been given to them by the Holy Spirit for, uh, for the advancing of God's purposes in the world. I think a lot of my motive in planting uh, a church was that. And then, of course, as we got into the, the process of planting and um, not everyone received my ministry well or uh, we ran into obstacles and my own my own sin patterns of leadership and my own weaknesses and deficiencies and competencies uh, all of a sudden came out and were exposed in new ways because of the pressure of that role being something beyond anything that I'd ever stepped into or been invited into before. Mm-hmm. Um, all of a sudden it's like, oh wow, I, I also really wanted people to respect me. I also wanted to be to have a, a certain kind of reputation in people's eyes. I also wanted to be um, just given kind of like a, you know, like a like a, uh, a wide open door to be able to kind of do the things the way that I wanted to do them and realizing like, oh, there's there's some stuff in here that's just not, it's an impure motive. It's about my, my kingdom as opposed sure. to God's. Yeah. So with ambition, uh, I think that's another great example. You know, with Gideon, it's, it's vendetta and vengeance. But ambition's another great example where our motives can be so mixed, I think. There is godly ambition. I think of the Apostle Paul who says it's right. it's my ambition to, to make the gospel known where Christ has not yet been named, and he wants to he wants to actually finish his life in Spain, um, in a place that, that no apostle had, had had that point made it to to share the gospel there. That's a godly ambition. That's a godly motive. Um, so there is a there is a way to rescue godly ambition, and we need people that have godly ambition to 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 run after uh, in in a faith-filled, brisk way. Um, the things that God has called us to in our lives, I think yeah. it's just important to recognize um, that that impure, build my kingdom, um, me being kind of at the center of this whole thing, me being the one that actually changes the world instead of God using me to do His purposes. Yeah. That can that can be there. That usually is there from the start, somehow buried in, in the mixture of it all, and then usually that gets exposed in some way down the road. Right. Yeah, and that, that that whole idea of, of like a, a godly ambition, um, desiring, I, I think those those kind of, and the church needs those people. God uses those people to um, to do things that um, are are out of the ordinary, that are in a way extraordinary, um, taking taking ground, you know, taking ground yeah. back, yeah, um, charging charging the hill. Like we need. And, and the church needs, Liberty Harrisburg needs uh, men and women that have godly ambition to go and, and, and charge charge the hill yeah. um, in their own neighborhoods, in their workplaces, to have a boldness, to have a, um, a, a an awareness of the lostness that exists and not just sitting back, you know, hiding in the wine press yeah. um, and waiting, you know, waiting for someone else to come in and do that. Yeah. Um, whereas, you know, in in Christ we we are we are all called and equipped um, to be salt and light, to be the ones who uh, have this godly ambition, and that's going to manifest itself differently. Um, you know, not all of us are are, are uh, you know, going to be the one that's going to lead three hundred people. Yeah. Um, some of us, some of us just. In godly ambition, we need to lead our families well. We need to uh, be salt and light in our communities, yeah. and be ultimately well, something that you and I talk about a lot is just 
um, having that obedience, that long obedience in the same direction. Yeah. Um, and so, like, it, it will manifest itself differently and at different times. Yeah. Um, so I think, like, a recognition of what are the things in my life right now that I'm that I need to be more, have more godly ambition in. Mm-hmm. Um, what are the ways in which I need to, I need to press forward. Yeah. You know, uh, I need to trust God in this. I need to, I need to have more faith. Yeah. Not in myself. You know, unlike unlike Gideon, where we see kind of the unraveling is is you know making a name for himself. Uh, yeah. You know, even um, Abimelech. You know, his his, um, yeah. his son's name. You know, my father is king. Yeah. Um, and not in a, in a narcissistic way, but in a way that is humble and, and but faithful, faithful to who God is and what He's called us to. Yeah. Yeah, that's right on. I think that would make great conversation uh, in our Bible studies, your Bible study groups this week, to talk about that that idea of, of ambition and the purity of motive there. One, one other along those same lines, and one of the ways I think that we're really inclined to replace God's agenda with our own uh, is around time and capacity. And uh, just knowing who we are specifically as a church body, as a church family at Liberty Harrisburg, we have a lot of really competent, driven, capable people who are therefore busy a lot of busy people capacity has always been something for our church that has been hard to come by in many people's lives uh, because of the opportunities and the gifts that god has given our people so we rejoice in the things that god has given us Uh, we we expect them to be busy but then the, the question is always and this is man this is not a static conversation this is always dynamic always in flux what um what are we using our capacity for? What, what, not, not, not am I busy or not, but what does my busyness reflect about my priorities? Mm-hmm. Because we will, we will be busy. We will fill our time. And as people have pointed out, uh, I don't even know who to attribute this quote to, but, but you know, work and life expands to fill the allotted time. Like whatever time we're, we have to do something, it, we, you know, life just seems to expand into that space. Um, and so rather than kind of wait for, wait for time, wait for like downtime to be able to live faithfully in following God and pursuing God's agenda, not our own, we really have to think about God's agenda first and then create the spaces in our lives to be faithful to God's agenda rather than crowd it out by our own. And so I think that would be a great way for accountability purposes to work that out in a smaller group Bible study setting where, you know, maybe depending on your group and how well you know each other, you even kind of pull your calendar out for like the last couple weeks and look together and say, what priorities does does these last couple weeks of how I spend my time reflect about my agenda versus God's agenda? Where, you know, am, am I available to, am I making myself intentionally available to be used by God and be ready for conversations that I wasn't planning on having, to be ready for um, opportunities to just drop what I'm doing in order to show up and serve someone else. Um, you know, uh, that can play out in a lot of ways. Uh, there's certainly probably some of us that are so inclined to do that that, that we need to, you know, um, that we need to not, um, you know, condemn ourselves for not doing everything that we could do on that right. front. But, right. but I think more what I what I know and experience leading and being part of this church family is uh, we can crowd out that availability to show up and serve, to show up and, and be um, 
and giving of our time in an unplanned way, being available for God to use us in His kingdom. Um, yeah. So that, yeah, I think that'd and, be that, and that's you know we we did a uh, an in covenant class this weekend, Matt, and we talked about the ways in which even even corporately as as a body of Christ here at Liberty Harrisburg, the reason why we are program minimalists and we don't have every kind of program happening every night of the week is because our desire is for people to to be able to step into the things that uh, that are existing in our community that, uh, that to give people opportunity to live speak and serve in the place that God has has put them in your neighborhoods and um, in your workplaces and with the family relationships and dynamics that you that already exist and so uh, let that just be like a reminder and a charge for um, for you as you think about those things Uh, if you come from a a highly programmatic church background how much time uh, was spent there Uh, not to not to reclaim that time just for selfish ambition uh, but for for godly ambition using those opportunities to to be in the community and serve and um, and when those those moments do come up for for you to be able to step into them knowing that you have allocated uh, a, a level of flexibility in your in your life with your family that will provide that opportunity um, yeah I think it's a, just a helpful reminder for us because we will we will fill the time yeah uh, I mean that is yeah. I, you know I remember I don't know about you like thinking back to like college days how busy I thought I felt yeah you know and I look back now you know uh, father of four four kids and I laugh at my college self and and, uh, and I long for the freedoms and the the time um, and so we will we will fill the time uh, and and it's it's incredible uh, and I think it's a it's a grace for us to um, to realize that we are we are capable of of more uh, for God to, to do more in and through us um, to be the salt and light like I mentioned before um, yeah. in our communities and so so taking that time it takes intentionality it takes purpose but ultimately it takes a, a big view of who, who God is and what he's called his church to be here on earth yeah that's really good so, that's really good yeah um yeah, I'd say that that probably provides more than enough conversation fodder for um, for Bible study groups just to get into that. Um, the other piece, of course, of Gideon um, and this this beginning of this next chapter of the downward spiral is that you know he he embraces a false identity, a false sense of he buys into his own hype, um, and then he also embraces this this hypocrisy where he says the right thing. He says, you know, hey, I will not be your king. The Lord will be your king. But then immediately goes on to live like a king anyway yeah and and a priest and, and with the whole the whole episode with the golden ephod like he he takes that on so um you know along with the proclivity we have to replace god's agenda with our own we are very prone to um overestimate ourselves buy into our own hype we're, we're, we're prone to and this is where it's more subtle than gideon often in our own lives um we're prone to just start becoming comfortable with, with the gap between what we say, what we profess, and what we actually live out. We start to accommodate 
that gap. There, yeah. there is a gap. I mean, and that, you know, like I mentioned this yesterday, Christians are, in one sense of the word, we are hypocrites. Like we, we right. profess a standard of Christ-likeness that we never live up to in this life. I mean, the gospel is, is not that we can ever attain to that standard of perfection in this life. It's that, it's that Jesus attained to that standard of perfection. And then gave us his righteousness by his death in our place. Uh, which is why I mean, which is why so many people think Christianity is one absurd or two unattainable. Right. That's uh, right. Because they, they, you know, we in the way that we live sometimes communicate um, something that is contrary to the gospel. Yep. And that uh, we we say, hey, here's the standard. Here's what you need to be. You know, come come make yourself clean before you receive Jesus. Yep. Um, when in fact he's he's not calling us to that he's he will do that and has done that in himself that's right uh, imputes to us his that's righteousness right. and he and he of course then does call us to live and pursue yes. um, that standard of Christ likeness as a response to what he's done so the order is so critical there but even as we pursue that in response we we continually fall short and so we I think it's when people when people would accuse me or accuse Christians and say, like, hey, Christians are hypocrites. I'm not interested in Christianity because Christians are hypocrites. My response to them is like, you know what? We are. Like, <laughs> let's, yes, you yes. are right. And actually the gospel is that um, Jesus saves not perfect people, but repentant hypocrites like, like me. Um, so we, we should embrace that aspect of it. Where, we, where we've got to be so vigilant and sensitive is where we, instead of being repentant hypocrites, uh, embrace the hypocrisy. Like we, there's that gap that does exist between yeah. the standard that we are pursuing in response to what Christ has done and what our lives actually look like. And we just say, "Hey, good enough. You know what? Sure. Good enough. Yeah. I've gotten there." Or even worse, um, particularly for those of us who have been Christians for a period of time and have learned a lot and, and seen a lot of growth in our life, to kind of assume, "Okay, now I'm now I'm mature. Now I've arrived." Um, now my life is faithful because I've lived this out already. Right. And that's a that's a, another place that the deceitfulness of sin just loves to get a foothold and start to, to turn you from faithfulness to unfaithfulness. Where you you rather than looking at, at Christ and his standard as the fixed point and making your life flexible around that for your entire life, you start to go my life is actually now the fixed point because I've been walking with Christ for a while and I'm not really flexible to continue to grow or, or, or mature beyond what I've attained there. So I think that'd be another great way to go with Bible study conversations this week is to say, hey, where, where do you find in your own life when you step back that you've become comfortable that there's a gap between the standard that you profess and what you actually live? And it, and it might be, it might be subtle things. It might be um, the content that we consume, um, which we can sometimes kid ourselves that we want to, we want to be culturally relevant. We want to be, um, we want to be up on what's playing out in culture, and we can become desensitized to what that's actually forming in us, uh, and we can embrace that gap rather than be sensitive to it. So Matt, you need to stop listening to Cardi B so much. <laughs> and, uh, that's right. That's uh, yeah. right. Yeah. That's uh, my. Uh, I'm going to get you some Amy Grant tapes. Thank you. And Thank you. Uh, replace replace that evil in your life. <laughs> we will, in, as a as a related announcement, we'll be hosting a CD burning festival. See, oh uh, yes, I can't wait. They used to do those a lot. Uh, that was like a br- thing for a while. Brings me back to the '90s. That's right. And uh, yeah, and the semi's got to come over and crush us. I think cool. we're okay. I think Thanks. we're gonna make it. Thanks, bro. Um, 
Yeah. We, yeah, man. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's so good. And I, I think some of that is, like, the... In so many ways, we want to see ourselves as faithful. Um, but in other ways, like, we really need to embrace the fact that we need to have more faith. So yeah. it is it is an issue of, of faith over faithfulness in that, like, we are pursuing more faith in, in Christ than seeing ourselves as faithful. For Christ was the is the faithful one, and he will be faithful to complete right. the work That's that right. he has begun. Yep. Right? And so, like, um, when we come to these issues, we come to these issues of really, like, it's not an issue of faithfulness, it's an issue of faith for us to to believe what God says. That's right. And really believe his promises are true um, and resist the devil and he will flee. Like, so all of yeah. these kind of things kind of compound on themselves of... Um, when we when we think too much of ourselves, um, yeah. Or as like C.S. Lewis would say, like we think of ourselves too much. Yeah. It's not that we need to think less of ourselves, but we need to think of ourselves less. Yeah, that's great. So, that's right. And the and the whole idea that, that the Apostle Paul talks about in Philippians chapter three about let those of us who are mature think this way, and, he, and he's talking there about. Um, you know, let us live up to what we've already attained, and in time, if we need, you know, God will continue to reveal to us what we what we need to continue to grow in. Yeah. I mean, really, the summary statement being like maturity in the Christian life is recognizing that you haven't fully arrived yet. Yeah. Maturity is actually it's actually immaturity to assume maturity and arrival. Like it, it's the the most mature people that I've ever known in the Christian faith are still learning, still humble. Um, not, not lacking confidence, not lacking boldness, right. but still humble all the way up to the time that they leave this earth and go to be with Jesus. I mean, they, they, they are lifelong learners. They are hesitant to ever call themselves mature, um, which I think is the definition of true, true Christian Absolutely. maturity in this life. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's very similar in the ways of education as well. Like you, uh, you graduate from high school, you think you know everything. You graduate from college, you realize you know nothing. You yeah. get your master's degree, you realize that you're an idiot. You get your PhD, <laughs> you just give up. Yeah, because yeah. it's you, you realize how little you know. And, and as we mature in Christ, we need to realize how de- how dependent we really are yeah. on uh, the goodness of God, the grace of God, uh, and that our confidence is not in ourselves, as Paul would say, not in our flesh, uh, but is in the Spirit. It's in the, what, what the, the Spirit of God um, affirms in us and, and says that we are in Him. So, yeah, uh, yeah, good, good recaps, guys. It's been it's been fun going on this little drive with you. So live live from the Pennsylvania Turnpike. This is Sermon B Sides. Sermon. Good to be with you guys. See you next time. See ya.